Good morning. I want to begin by sharing a story with you as we are exploring this question of how does violence and religion intersect, and especially the God Yahweh and his expression through Jesus Christ. And so I want to share a story with you, but I, I do so reluctantly. I just want to throw that out there, okay? So as I share this, I'm trying to uh, give you experience of my own life. I still have questions about what happened there and how to act. And, but I just want to, I want to use this to introduce the, the whole question of how God approaches violence. When we see it in the Old Testament, we often hear people saying, oh, the Old Testament God is this bloody, brutal, bloodthirsty God. And I want us to think that through a little bit. So I was in my uh, probably first or second year of Bible college when I got a call from a friend of mine, uh, Brian, who asked me to go to Promise Keepers with him in Michigan. Um, this is the early 90s, so I thought, oh, this would be exciting. Go with him and his family. We'll go on this bus trip and travel down to Promise Keepers. And so I said, yeah, sure, that sounds great. We went down there. It was a good time, you know, a, lot of, uh, a lot of fun, some good challenges. Um, and we took, the, we took the bus back. So we're coming back from Michigan. We finally arrived to the place we're supposed to be picked up. Now, where we're getting picked up is a little town called Elmer. Anyone know, ever heard of Elmer before? We're meeting our uh, rendezvous at the Tim Hortons in Elmer. We're inside Tim Hortons, getting some food, coffee, donuts. It's pretty late at night, um, and we're waiting and waiting. And there's some people there, some kind of ruffian-looking folks. Uh, one of them says something, hey, to one of the brothers. My, my, my friend had a bunch of brothers. There's this Mexican Mennonite family with lots of brothers. And I uh, says something about, oh, you're, stop looking at my girl or something. He's like, I'm not looking at your girl. And then he said something, probably something about... Uh, and I would have more respect for her or something like that if I did, which wasn't probably the, the wisest thing. At the same moment, this is kind of a strange situation. I'm still inside the coffee shop. Some of the brothers are leaving. And then just chaos erupts in this place. Um, there's the largest brother of Brian, this giant guy. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this giant man appears in, with him. And I guess he thought, we're going to have a fight. And he punched him and knocked him onto the ground. This is a very large guy. Um, and other fights start breaking out between my friend's brothers and these other ruffian-looking folks. When the big, biggest of our people was on the ground, people started getting scared. And there was a car there that decided, I'm out of here. Press on reverse, runs over his legs. So we, like our biggest guy's not only on the ground, he's out, right? Um, and I am 19 years old. I am with Brian's younger cousin. And we're looking at this going like, what? And we hear someone yell, call the police. And so we just start booking it, running to the, we see back in those days, there was like a telephone booth. And we run into this booth, pick up the phone, start calling. I look and I'm trying to describe the police, like everything that's happening. There's this fight over here. There's like five different things happening all at once. And um, we finish that and we're kind of look at each other and like, what do we do? And I can see it's still going on. So I run over, and this is the part where I'm kind of, I still wonder, you know, what, what to do and what should you do. But I saw one of the brothers on the ground, and there was a person on, front, on top of him, and he was striking him repeated times. And I'm like, what do I do? Now, I think I've mentioned before, I have witnessed a murder before. So I, I'm not a violent person, and violence is the least of my kind of proclivities. And I'm seeing this guy hitting, so I'm just thinking, ah, I'm kind of fro I froze what felt like an eternity to me, probably felt like two eternities to the, the poor brother on the ground. And he finally says, what are you doing? 
hit him. Get him off of me. In that moment, I was kind of frozen. I was like, what do I do? And I'll admit to you, not proud of it. I run over and I knocked him off, pushed him, hit him. I don't even know exactly how it happened. Knocked him off. At the exact same time, the police are arriving. And then the, everything kind of settles down. I think they recognize we were just attacked. A nice family of Christians coming from Promise Keepers was just attacked by a lot of hardcore rednecks, um, if I'm being honest. And one of them just got out of jail that day. So I think, you're probably going back today. <laughs> and so I'm in this situation, and I thought about it, uh, I thought about it a lot of times afterwards. Um, another thing is that the guy who I knocked off someone went and tried to steal my bag in front of the police. I was like, hey, and tried to stop him. So we were dealing with a really weird situation. When I go back to that time and I think about that, and I think about what I did, I would say, yes, I went and used physical violence, in a sense, to help my friend on the ground. But I didn't do it with, like, luster. I didn't do it because I liked it. I was probably the most reluctant fighter there was in that moment. And I'd like to suggest to you that when we read God in the Old Testament, I think he's a little bit more reluctant about how the wars go down than we might sometimes think. We get this picture of God, and there are wars, and there are texts that are very difficult, and I'll throw one up in a second. And it does paint a picture that we have to struggle with as Christians. How do we deal with this text? But I just want to throw this out there, that you do not find a God who just wants and loves to hurt people, who wants to kill people. and That's not his heart. And I hope if we talk about religion and violence, we see that even in the Old Testament, the heart of God was one of love. The God of the Bible, we often say, okay, New Testament God is nice, peaceful. Old Testament God is smitey and mighty, right? He's, he likes to, to smite people. And I'll begin with a passage. This is one of the most, more difficult passages in Scripture that we as Christians have to deal with. And I'll tell you what, our new atheist friends that I talked about last week are definitely saying, look, this is your God. However, in the cities of the nations of the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance do not leave anything that breathes. Completely destroy them. This is like a, almost like a religious kind of term. The Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God commanded you. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against your Lord. Completely destroy now, that is a, a passage that we need to think through. Because what does it mean? And how, is this ethical? And this is really true who God is. And there's a, there's a lot of questions. And I think we do need to read that through Christ and recognize that things are, um, are different with Jesus. I do believe that. At the same time, I hope we don't read this passage and then think, this equals who God is. God is someone who loves destroying Hivites. He is bloodthirsty. He just can't wait to get rid of the Jebusites. He's just itching for a battle he can torture and kill. And... Now, I do want to point out the gods that Yahweh is talking about and the detestable things they do, that's actually part of it. Once they get you, then they do weird things. Like Syrians will put poles all the way through you. They'll put, they'll, they'll do, they'll, they will relish torturing you. 
That's the, the situation, the world that we're talking about. And Yahweh isn't that person who, who loves that. And so why do I say that? How can I say that after I just read you that text? Well, I believe that when we ask the question, is Yahweh primarily a, a war god or a god of peace? There's some interesting pictures that start to arise. There are some, what I would call, uh, subversive war texts. There's texts when you read them, you start to go like, wait a second, this picture of Yahweh, the bloodthirsty God, is actually undermined by the scriptures. It's not quite as clear as that. He, he doesn't like this. And so there can be two major things I'm gonna, I want to point out to you. And I'm getting a lot of this from my friend Bill Webb, who's writing a book called Bloody, Brutal, and Barbaric. And it's, um, so a lot of the illustrations I'll use, I just want to say off the head, I'm thankful for his book that's coming out. But the first thing I want to point out is that God, although we see God destroying and, and conquering and these type of things, he's actually a tearful, crying war god. The scriptures don't show us a guy who's like, ah, I just can't wait to rip. Like, no, that's not who he is. He's not like UFC God. And that's not, he doesn't enjoy that. It's not like the sport that he gets, he gets a lot of joy from. This is what it says when he talks about the Moabites, who he does, he does say are, are evil in his sight. I, God, weep as Jazzer weeps. I drench you with tears. My heart throbs for Moab like a harp. My very soul laments for them. This is from the prophet Isaiah. Do you hear in his heart, like, God can't wait to do this to you? God's so excited that this, and also I want to point out that God uses other nations. They, they kind of do this back and forth to each other, each punishing each other for the other's wickedness. And the whole history of attacking and, and destroying armies is very interesting when you, when you start to read the Bible in the context of human armies fighting each other. And here God is saying like, ah, this is breaking my heart that this is happening. My heart throbs. You hear that language? Assyria is coming to take out Moab, and God is pained by it. Is that a war God? It's not just Isaiah who gives this picture. Jeremiah does the same thing. He says, I will wail for Moab. I will cry out for all of Moab. For the people of Kir Haseth, I mourn. More than for Jazer, I weep for you. My heart moans. My heart moans for Moab like a flute. My heart mourns like a flute for the people of Kir Hareseth. Do you hear his heart? And this is the thing we need to, when we read the Old Testament, what is God's heart? God's heart is a heart that weeps at the violence of humanity. He weeps at it. If Yahweh is primarily a war god, I want to ask you, why? Why does he cry? I think it's because in his heart is shalom. He is a shalom at heart God. He is actually an uneasy or a reluctant war God. It's like, ah, God, ah. When you see this passage, you got to read it in that spirit. Now, the war gods of the nations around Israel were not reluctant at all. They were the slayers of their enemies. 
the pharaohs and the Syrian kings, they would actually worship their gods with violent imagery. So I want to point out, when we take a look at the Old Testament, when we read it, make sure we don't just only read it through our own lens. When we look back, and go, oh, I don't know about that. Which, by the way, our lens, thankfully, is Jesus Christ, who is Prince of Peace. And we read it back and go, through Jesus, we realize, like, this is not what God wanted for humanity. This is not the story. Like, he wants to bring them to this shalom. His heart is shalom. His heart is peace. We have a God who mourns for other nations. And so we want to compare ourselves, not just to uh, compare this text, not to who we are today and go, oh, look, it's, there's so much. Well, we want to compare them. Who was around them at the time? What was Yahweh doing with the people of Israel? What was he teaching them about war in comparison to what other nations were hearing about war? It was a kill or be killed time in history. That's what it was. That's what you did. If you wanted to survive, you better stop the other people because they're going to slaughter you. It's, it's, that's how life worked. Actually, I want to take a little bit closer look at the history and start to take some pictures to understand God's reluctance. And we're going to see that God's reluctance is best summed up in this picture of, of David's bloody hands. But before we get to David and we get to his bloody hands, I want to look at some other kings. The kings in the ancient Near East had a pattern for warfare. The first thing is that they would come into battle They'd be victorious and they would slaughter and they would actually, like I said, torture and, and butcher purposely. Then, after they got their war, they'd, be, they'd build a temple to their God. And then they would boast about their victories and how they killed all these people. They would boast about how their God slaughtered, how warrior-like their God is. And remember, the pharaohs themselves are gods in this context. Battle, build, boast. That's what they did. Let me show you again. Here's a, a temple at Edfu. Here we have the warrior victorious king. Continue on to next slide. Here is Temple of Ammon at Karnak. Notice he's on his, he's on his war chariot. This is, this, is the, this is the temple. This is where you went to, to worship your god. Ah, oh, warrior. Continuing. Oh, here he is actually killing people on the temple walls. So think about this. Imagine you had a nice little picture here of our glorious battles before when Mike Stone slayed the... <laughs> you get, get what I'm saying? This is... Continue to the next one. Here's the great kings. This is what they did. Build themselves like, we are gods. This is what you would do if you were a king. This is what you were supposed to do. And then it gets a little bit more violent. Here we are. Ramses II... Killing a Hittite. Mm, happy day at church. Staring at the violent photo on the wall. Continuing on. Here's Ramses again at the temple of Abu Simbel. Now this is more of what we call a ritual killing. This might be like human sacrifice. Killing for your God. More of the head chopping ways. Notice how they are by the hair. This is like a, a, a normal thing that would happen. And finally his son, Ramses III... Same thing, ritual sacrifice. Now this picture is another picture which I, I just imagine on the, on the back of the church walls. This is a piles of human hands piled up. Now I'm not trying to discuss you. I just want you to show, this is how they worship. This is how you worship. I have another slide which I will not show at church. It's a pile of other things that's piled up. You loved the violence of your God. That's what they, that showed their power. 
That's who they were. And you worship them by building a temple that looked like this. Now, what do you think the temple of Yahweh is going to look like? Maybe a giant Goliath with his head cut off with a victorious David over him with a sword. Maybe pictures of Joshua and the conquest. Is actually what's going to be on the walls of the temple of Yahweh? Well, this is actually what's on the temples of Yahweh. On the walls all around the temple in both the inner and the outer rooms, he carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. Whoa, isn't that really interesting? We read that and we just say, well, whatever. That is subversive. That is culture-defying. That is trying to say, you know what? This is going to be a different kingdom. We are not a people who worship a God who thirsts and quests for violence. Let me show you what a picture might look like. Not too bad. Here's a, probably the, another picture of inside the temple, another rendering of it. It's a far cry from the violent imagery that we saw before. We were talking about this pattern of, of battle and then building and boasting. But Yahweh doesn't want that. He doesn't want this boasting part of over the killings. Not only that, Yahweh does something remarkable. Not only does he not build his temple with all the imagery, what he does when he builds his temple is truly remarkable. And this is, has to do with David's bloody hands. It talks about building of the temple. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. So David wants to build a temple for Yahweh, like all the other kings, to show how awesome Yahweh is. As his victorious king, he's finally going to get his chance, right? But this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name. Because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. That's pretty remarkable. The victorious king, the conquering warrior, is not allowed to build a temple because he did his job too well. Again, is the God of the Old Testament this violent, bloodthirsty God, or is he a God who's trying to move humanity into a place where peace can be proclaimed. He's working with them in the midst of their darknesses. God said to me, you're not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior. You shed much blood. Now, I also want to point out the next thing. Who does get to build the temple? But you will have a son who will be a man of peace, shalom, and rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Shalom Man, Solomon, Shalom Man. And I will grant Israel peace, Shalom, and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. God wants his temple built by someone who understands and is named after peace. This is, the, this is God's heart. He's saying, I'm not David. David, I almost want to put it, it, it seems like a, a political necessity at a time when you needed to set up a, a nation of people who could worship a God like Yahweh. 
Yes. But not ideal. Necessary? Not ideal. I am a God of peace. Yes, that's me. Think about that name. Shalom, man. So God does not fit the pattern of battle, build, and bust. We have a God who decides that he will actually remove that whole pattern in the ancient Near East and replace it with a new one, which is, I want my temple to be associated with peace. This is reluctance. This is uh, not a bloodthirsty warrior. My name is not David. A little bit further, I have a, a picture of the, the, the sacrifices. I want to I point out, if you look actually at the, the way in which God wants Israel to interact with him, it begins with uh, reparations. So you have the first, your first offerings, what we call reparation offerings, where you'd make amends and repair whatever damage you had done. Then the next set of offerings is what we call purification offerings, where you purify yourself before the Lord, making sure that you are ready to, to go to the next stages. And then the next stages are this interesting place where you start to see that there's a burnt offering, a grain offering, and then the final one is the peace offering. It's the one with all the stars around it. The... There's, a, there's an offering where uh, God finally says, I'm going to sit and have a meal with you. The way I am worshipped ultimately as we move through the stages, as you sit and have a peace with God, because God at the end is shalom. That's what he wants. He wants to be at peace with you. Just think about that, that, that worship, that form of worship. Think about the temple where it's happening. All the ways in which God is changing the way in which gods are worshipped. He says there, there's one God. And so I want to point out, when I look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, I actually think that they go together, like kind of like praying hands. When you start to read them properly, you start to recognize that even in the Old Testament, God is not bloodthirsty. There is very difficult stuff there. I'm not trying to just gloss it over. Some people say, oh, maybe you're cherry picking. And I, and I do get that. There's, there are hard passages in Scripture. But I wanted to get his heart. And we read those passages through who he is. And I think this points at who he ultimately is. Yahweh is a God who had to deal with nations and work with people, even to this day, and humans are a, a violent species, probably more violent even than any others. And he took centuries to try and slowly build a people who could start to understand his differences. And that there's only, first of all, there's only one God. They're not all, the gods aren't all fighting each other. There's one God, and he is a God who wants to restore peace to the earth. And that's who he wants humans to be. And so he has to, in order to do that, he has to create a little tribe and grow that. And eventually the Jesus can come and be born within that and finally speak the peace that God has always intended. And now we try to live this out. And if you look at it, I think God has a lot of patience with humanity. He kind of meets them where they're at. He knew he couldn't just go like, don't fight wars. They would be like, we're, they wouldn't, it wouldn't work that way. So he slowly but surely builds a people who start to come to understand who he is. And you might be asking yourself, like, why are we studying this and how does this help me in my own personal life as a Christian? There would be two things I want to point out to you. The first one is, I think, that a lot of us are struggling with these passages. When I talk to people, it's one of the first things that people bring to me. What about these violent passages in Scripture? 
I was just talking to someone today whose who's friends are like, I don't want to go near it because I, it's just violent. So do we have any answers? I hope when people talk to you about the violence of Scripture, you can say, yeah, but there's these, these places where we start to realize that God isn't this violent, war-loving God. He won't let David build a temple. That means something. He recognizes the difficulties here. And I hope it helps you start to understand and see your scriptures in a way that you can, you can start to trust the author of them, even as you still struggle through the, the difficulties of them. The second thing I want to point out is maybe personal in your own life, how God works here. If we see God is slowly working with humans to reveal his heart and how he wants them to live peacefully and taking, well, for the first couple centuries are just trying to get them to worship one God and then trying to get them to, to acknowledge that. And then, even, they, by the way, Israel still gets punished. Did you know that? Israel gets punished for its own sin and violence by Babylon, which is interesting. We don't talk about that much. But he's working with them. He builds them. And finally he has Israel and he, and he produces the Savior within them that says, peace and shalom will be the way that God will end these things. And if God did that with all of humanity, maybe he's doing that with you on the micro scale. Maybe some of you are thinking like, God, it's taking so long for me to work on this one little area of my life and my sin and, the, and I'm struggling with these things and what's happening. I just want to say, God looks at the long game. And it would be beautiful if you can kind of just be perfect once you say, I love you, Jesus. It's like, oh, now I'm perfect. But instead, just like he did with people in the macrocosm, he works with them, I think he does that in our own life. He slowly gets us ready for the next thing where he's unveiling himself to us, what he wants us to be and who he's going to bring us to be. And that encourages me that God is a loving God who's loving enough to know where I'm at and meet me where I'm at, even though I should be over here, and slowly help, coax and guide, correct and discipline me so I grow just like hopefully we are growing as the church to understand what Jesus meant. Because we know a lot of Christians did a lot of killing in the name of Jesus and probably were bloodthirsty. But it takes us a while to come and go, where is God heading? Where is he taking us? And what is his ultimate heart? And his heart is a heart which is not enamored with violence. God does not glorify violence. I believe he is actually horrified at violence. And he knew it. And I think when he brought Christ to be a human babe and grow into a man, he, God, knew what awaited his son. He knew the violence of humanity. He knew its heart. He knew that he would be struck down that his blood would be shed, that his body would be broken. And I believe that's why he asked us every time we gather to share in a meal, a shalom. By the way, the, the, this meal is based on the peace offering. This is, this is the peace offering here, the peace offering of Christ's very body for us to be the people of peace, to live in the peace, and to be changed into people who love peace. Let's pray.